This is a full The Now Media production. Hello, I'm Tony Grundy. Welcome back to Grundy's Grumbles. Unbelievably, this is episode 10. I think we'll start issuing special Blue Peter badges to those people who've listened to all of them, you poor souls. Anyway, tonight's episode is entitled Employed or Self-Employed? That is the question. Sounds a bit Shakespearean, doesn't it? Uh, more of it later. Before we get into that, I first want to name check the lovely people who've been in, in touch. Mike Smith says, fab listen, what a cliffhanger. We've had a few of those recently, haven't we? He said, is Bobby Ewing going to come out of the shower? Who knows? But I want to find out. Looking forward to the next instalment. Thanks, Mike. Ben Allen, he of Coots Bank and a massive radio fan. Would have loved to work in radio, but anyway, like lots of other people, he isn't. So interesting and a great listen, he says. What an unfair and unjust outcome from the 210 2CR GWR merger. Why on earth did Richard Palmer agree to it? I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall of the chairman's negotiating room. Too right, Ben. So, so would I, mate. On the same subject, Graham Ledger says, your strategic position on the subsidiarity of local teams was the genius that was never taken on board. A sad day indeed. Thanks, guys. That's the bit we'll never know, really. I accept there will be people out there, even listening to this podcast now, who will say, what are you moaning about? Who's right anyway? We made a fortune from it. Anyway, you make your own choices in life, I guess. Next up, Hugh Davis-Davis. He said, it's only a brief one. Thanks, Tony. Another excellent piece. Cheers, Hugh. Next up, Sean Bolger, a young presenter at 2 0 in 1986, started doing the afternoon show, then later during the Hamilton days, as we can call them. Now a very successful voiceover presenter on TV and radio. Sean says the station at 2 0 had a real great family feel from the moment you came through the front door. Vera on reception, Claire Edwards through to the news, on air, sales, and the Careline team. Very happy days. Thanks, Sean. Lovely to hear from you. Now, Andy Jones, we've heard from him before. He was a really good presenter and producer at Reading 107, now at BBC Radio Berkshire. He says, absolutely love these, Tony. Keep up the fantastic work. Thanks, Andy. He did add, though, that he was looking forward to when I reached Reading 107 in terms of the history. Although he said he would have to have his solicitor listening to it with him. I know what you mean, but don't worry, Andy, you're going to be safe. Now, Greg Brown, a footballing friend from my playing days at Chichester City, he said he will never forget the orange Fiat Mir Fury Sport I drove when I was in the motor trade and obviously playing at Chichester. Yes, Greg, the flying carrot, as it became known. I'll share a story with you about it, but don't tell anyone. Promise? I was travelling back one night from Hailing Island, pitch black of the winter. It was late, so I was batting along a bit. In the dim distance behind me, I could see a blue flashing light. Looked like a, one of those Ford Anglia police cars, but it didn't get any closer. I think that had something to do with the speed I was going at. Anyway, two nights later, a knock on the front door, and the local policeman, who apparently had been driving that car, came to the house. 
and he was checking on the car and everything else. And I think he was more impressed with the car than anything else. Nice, friendly guy, <laughs> but flying carrot. Yeah. And finally, Renata Luis, who did uh, an amazing job running the kids program at 2-0, says, just listening to all the names and remembering the faces from those 2-0 days. Cheers, Renata. So thanks for all the comments. I really do enjoy them. But tonight's episode, as I said before, is employed or self-employed? That is the question. Just to recap then, I was out of GWR Group. I went to Beacon to run Communicate, their training company. Six months in, they came to me and said, we can't afford this. So that was terminated. I was then faced with probably the biggest decision that we have so far talked about. Why? Well, do I actually stay employed and get another job in radio in senior management? Which was perfectly possible. Or do I, for the first time, become self-employed and run my own company? The radio management choice was tempting, but it would probably have meant that we'd have had to move from the Thames Valley. And the girls were so settled with schools and everything. And we loved the village life that we had there. One of the things about being employed, of course, is the regular salary. And that was a big pull. The alternative, though, of being self-employed and having my own company meant if you weren't working, you wouldn't get paid. Now, to be honest, that didn't frighten me. Dad was self-employed for a long time, and I watched how well he did. Lots of people in the radio industry said about going self-employed and doing the radio training, and they were actually saying to me, it'll be too risky. Don't do it. You've got a good job with GWR. Now, where have I heard that too risky before? So many times, and I've never paid any attention to it so far, and I wasn't about to start then. But the industry was growing. People needed training to develop, and the sales needed to grow. So I believe right place, right time. A big, big thing is lots of training companies had loads of very experienced people, but absolutely none, when I did the research, had radio experience. I'd now got 18 years to trade on. I am a qualified teacher, and coach. I just knew how to do it. I did speak to lots of people to get their advice, particularly self-employed people. One person, Deanna Hallett, who'd been self-employed for a long time and a top radio researcher, says, always take your holidays. Surprised me when she said it, but what she meant was, value your time. Otherwise, you're always available and you never take holidays and you won't last if you do that. Good advice. Another person said, Invoice promptly, chase payment, make a friend of the people in the accounts department. I think that was excellent advice. So yes, I took the name and the materials from Beacon Radio as part of my settlement with them. And I called it Communicate Now. So it could be Communicate Now, anything going forward. But it was certainly training in the first place. Some stations had said to me when I was doing the Beacon job, if it was your company, Tony, we would book you. So I was encouraged by that. But there was a final, final big point that tipped me in that direction. In the early 90s, techs, training and enterprise councils were formed by the government. They had 72 across the country in local outlets, local funding for training and enterprise. And they would match pound for pound up to 15 grand. That's a great offer. It was a deal maker for me. The stations loved the idea of the techs and radio stations after that, you know, went along with it in heaps and loads. By creating Communicate Now as a partnership, which is what I did, Sue became partner with me on it and she did the accounts. And the great thing about taking that role is we could stay in the Thames Valley. So that was a good family 
uh, item. I marketed myself in the local radio magazines that existed then, and I had some fun with that. I put some outrageous, outrageously good quotes in there saying, Communicate Now are quite by far the best training company I've ever worked with. And then it would be my name underneath saying, who says, Tony Grundy, Communicate Now, which made people laugh. And actually the phone rang off the hook. Early clients were Orchard FM in Taunton with the um, David Rogers, the MD, and Howard Bowles, the Australian sales director, who's still a friend to this day. Fox FM in Oxford with Tom Hunter as MD and John Baker. Likewise, still no John Baker. And uh, the thing about uh, I liked about Fox as well, it was 25 minutes from my home here. The MDs were very happy to confide in me because they trusted me. And that was a big thing because they knew I'd done the job. And they don't have too many people to talk to when you're MD. I think I've said that before. You can't keep going to the chairman and you can't share everything confidential with the management team. So trust and confidentiality were a key to the success of getting Communicate Now off the ground. A lot of them became contract clients for sales training and management training. Interestingly, I was learning masses more good and bad about running radio stations and being paid to learn. You'd have never got that knowledge being in one single radio station. You could talk to some people and they give you some information, but they'd have never talked in the way they did to me. I, I got a very small station, Maury Firth in Inverness. That was a nice one. The MD I knew, Thomas Prague. I ended up doing one day a month. This was the routine. Heathrow for a flight on a Sunday night. They had a contra with, with, uh, uh, with Maury Firth. And they used to then, BA, fly into, uh, into Inverness. They don't now. I got a meal on the plane and a glass of wine a taxi at the other end to take me to the hotel. The next morning, somebody would come and pick me up, take me to the radio station, and then they'd plant me on the 5.30 plane, getting back out to Heathrow, back by seven o'clock, home by eight. It was a lovely client and I loved doing that. After a year or so, it went so well that the MD said to me, we'll cut the hotel costs, come and stay with me at his house with his lovely wife and family. And Fantastic location looking out on the Murray Firth there. Their chairman, this is an interesting one, their chairman was Willie McCallum from the family whiskey company. The distillery was nearby. And along Thomas's mantelpiece, there were miniature whiskey bottles all the way along from almost a white colour through to uh, the darkest brown on the other side. And Thomas said, we'll work our way along here over the next few months, shall we? And I'll tell you something else, the June nights there, when it just doesn't go dark, were magnificent, sipping this whiskey on his lawns out there. One day, Thomas said to me, I'd like you to speak at our annual Islands Weekend Seminar. It's coming up. And it, it, they were a kind of mother hen to all the island stations, and they all came from all sorts of tiny remote islands. And I thought, that would be interesting. And I said, can we get Sue up? I don't want a fee for speaking, but can we get Sue up uh, on the contract? And they said, yeah, and we'll book her in the hotel. And we made a weekend of it. So this was the Saturday was the seminar. We were looking up Loch Ness and Loch Lomond uh, the next day, the Sunday. We had a lovely time. Now, when I did the seminar, um, Thomas gave me a really nice introduction, said all this radio experience I've got, big build up. Then I spoke and I talked about radio sales and so on and running radio stations. And you could feel people staring at me because I was this Southern Jesse talking to them about radio. What did I know? 
So I thought, right, we'll try something. I said, has anybody got a difficult client? Give me a question about this difficult client. See if I can answer it. That's either a brave or stupid thing to do. But there was a silence. And then one guy, very tall guy, beard, archetypal Islander, Scottish Islander, looking back at me. And he said, I won't try and do the accent, but he said, yeah, he said, on my island, I can't remember whether it was Stornoway, it's maybe a smaller one, Butte or something like that. Anyway, Butte rather. He, he said, I've got a DIY client and he won't advertise. And I said, well, why not? He said, because he says he's the only DIY uh, shop on the island and therefore I don't need to advertise on radio. And I thought, oh, hell. So I, start, I gave myself a bit of space, asked him a couple of questions. Uh, then I said, OK, here's the answer. Unfortunately, something came into my head. I said, what we're talking about here is the leisure pound, how people spend their leisure pound. It could be DIY. It could be going out for a meal. It could be going to the local bowling alley. So he must advertise to keep his name up in front for his unfair share of the leisure pound. And he looked at me, stared at me, and he nodded his head and he said, right. And I could feel everybody else like, Phew, I think I've passed the test. So that went well, but it was a really nice occasion. Nice to be involved. Murray Firth was a lovely client, as I said, but I wanted some big names on the list. So Capital Radio became a target of mine. I recognized if I had a client like that, I probably need to bring in some specialist assistance on sales and management. Quality was always going to be the key. At Capital, I knew Philip Pinnegar, the sales director, David Lees, the sales manager, and Paul Davis, who was senior sales. Amazingly, they had no structured training plan in place. So I said, right, guys, if I could get you 15 grand grant to support your 15 grand, because we're going to need that kind of level for 12 months. They said, how will you get a grant for Capital Radio? We make a lot of money. They said, no way. I said, all right. Let me put it back to you. So if I could get that grant and I came back to you with that grant secured, you'd do it then. And they had nowhere to go. They said, well, I suppose so, but you won't get it. Anyway, I went to the tech and they were absolutely delighted to have Capital Radio on their roster. Deal done. I was on a roll and it was pioneering stuff. So I absolutely loved it. I found with my teaching experience, the presentation side wasn't a problem. And the one-to-one -one with the sales execs, I I've been doing that for years anyway. It was really exciting stuff. I got a specialist for the negotiation skill side. He was really good. And the great thing is when you do that, you learn from them as well. And you're being paid to do that. I got a management specialist in a guy called Tim O'Connor to help me on the management training side. Bigger names follow. Classic FM came on board. GWR Group, who obviously I'd worked with before, I didn't fall out with them, so I got work with them. Sally Oldham gave me work. Paul Angus gave me work. Piccadilly Radio, where I'd obviously been in Manchester. Ian Smith gave me work. Red Rose Preston, Peter Salt, David Maker. Invicta, Kent, Nigel Reeve. Cast of thousands, isn't it? Ocean Sound, David Lucas. Actually, one small station I got. Here's an interesting one. Uh, Manx Radio, Isle of Man. And how did I get that? I hardly knew they existed, to be honest. It was actually on an airport bus at Dallas in America. How come I was there? Well, what I used to do is go to their big conferences because they were 30 years ahead of uh, commercial radio here. 
and they had top trainers there. So I could go and listen to them, scribbling notes like crazy, bringing that to back to help my clients in the UK who couldn't afford to be there. So it was a brilliant way. And I got the Manx radio business on the back of sitting next to him on that airport bus and explaining what I did. And they became an interesting island client as well. I think we've got Isle of Wight. So yeah, island clients all over the place. But I got myself on the AIRC, uh, the Association of Independent Radio Contractors National Training Committee. Really useful, highly influential industry conferences. We got invited to, to speak and talk about training in radio. One of them I remember vividly because it was in London. I can't remember where, but it was a moment of sweet revenge for me. There was a full house, including, and I, I looked at the audience, Include before I spoke, and I could see the full massive GWR head, GWR head office staff there with Ralph Bernard sitting proudly in the middle of them. I just couldn't resist it. I was going to talk to, and I did anyway, talk about my early experiences in trying to get the industry to invest in training. So I said, I met lots of negatives. One very senior chief executive, I said, said to me, I reckon training is a load of old bollocks. Massive laughter. I just looked to Ralph and he looked at me and he knew exactly who I was talking about. Sweet revenge. There's so much more to tell you. It's so exciting, all of this stuff. But one story I must tell you, and that's because of my cousin, Rosemary Conobit. I'm now doing requests. It's like a radio program, this. I want to tell you the fact that a change in lifestyle when you go self-employed is suddenly you spend a lot of time in hotels. For instance, when I went uh, to do the training at Taunton with Orchard, I would very often stop over and go to their sister station, Gemini, in Exeter the next day. So the post house in Taunton became a place I frequented quite a lot. And one of the things that happens when you do uh, training all during the day and you're talking all day, the last thing you want to do is make polite conversation in the evening. So I was sitting there after I'd had a meal one night there uh, having a coffee and you know when somebody wants to speak to you there was this guy trying to attract my attention and I ignored him for a bit then I looked towards him and he said so why are you here what do you do and I thought oh god here we go so I told him radio training da 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 and the obvious thing then is for me to say to him so what do you do without the slightest interest in the reply but he actually surprised me because he said I work for Kellogg's and I said oh really he said, on the promotional side, I said, he said, well, Kellogg's Frosties particularly. And I said, yeah, promotional side. He said, well, I, I'm one of the characters. And I said, what do you mean? And he then, in this booming voice, said, I'm Tony the Tiger. And I said, what? And he said, Tony the Tiger. And it was the voice. The issue is, he said, I have the voice on the commercials on TV. And I nearly burst out laughing. But he actually, that was his job. And he said, I'm going to Taunton tomorrow. The thing I twigged is, of course, he would be in the costume of Tony the Tiger. And nobody sees his face. So nobody recognizes him when they see him. But when he does the voice, you know it's him, sad git. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I quickly, uh, you know, excused myself and left him to it. So you meet some weird people. Next week, I want to talk about how I ended up teaching rocket scientists negotiation skills. How did that happen? Secondly, how did I end up lecturing at Warwick University 
one of the top business universities in the country over a five year period. That's all next week. So any comments, do use the links at the end of the podcast. Make sure you're there next week for Grundy's Grumbles. See you then. Bye. Grundy's Grumbles with Tony Grundy is a For The Now media production. If you would like to get in touch with Tony or have any radio stories of your own, email tony at forthenow.co.uk.